should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, 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 and happy Tuesday. I'm Michelle Miao, your host, and well, Tuesdays are usually really fun and perky because we have John Zipper of Commonwealth Club today. I'm sorry, we do not have John Zipper. He's not here today. I, I, I'm i going to keep apologizing over and over this month of June. It's insane. Um, Pride season has has started. And I mentioned earlier in the year, uh, I took this role as board president of San Francisco Pride. I've been fairly open about that role and have talked a little bit about, um, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, the, the pretty, all of it. Uh, but it is June, and so so much is happening, and I've got my hands on so much. So the radio show has had to take a little bit of a backseat. But I promise you, we try to crank out as much content as possible. It's all up there, and it's posted at michellemeow.com. Um, I've got Kenny, our producer here, who's also my nephew, my young, young, young nephew. Um, the uh, California primaries are almost here, and since you started with me, which is just a few months ago, I've I've kind of been hounding you about making sure that you register to vote. Oh yeah, I I've been done that. You did that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm happy for you. Thank so you. like I said, I don't care who you vote for as long as you vote. Oh yeah, I know every vote counts. But who are you voting for? <laughs> Is that just? You don't have to decide now. <laughs> as long as as long as it's not Trump, I guess. Oh no. Okay, that's... good. Good. You can't be working on this show if you're you're willing to <laughs> vote for Trump. But then again, I, I'd probably be willing to mentor you and change your mind out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's happening in, in and around the world, or I should say in and around the Bay Area, some huge news. This weekend was huge. I, mean, I should say yesterday was huge. Like almost 50,000 people came out to Oakland. Oh, for the, the Trump thing, right? No, for Bernie Sanders. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I had a long weekend. Well, I, I I was sure that you were going to say yes for the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> oh, I'm since they're the Western Conference championship champion. yeah. champions now, yeah, right? Champions, and they're so, going back to the finals rematch of uh, last year's. Wow! So it's a rematch. They're playing the same team from last year. Yeah. So then that team would be the Cavaliers. Oh, uh, anybody famous on the Cavaliers? I mean, I guess uh, they're all they, famous. Yeah, they got yeah they got a couple superstars. They got. LeBron James. Ah, the king. Yes. King James. Yes. I know that. And then <laughs> Kyrie Irving. Uh-huh. Um, so what do you think? You think they've got a chance? Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, the, this year, I mean, the playoffs for the Cavs, they went by smooth for them. They had no trouble. Oh, yeah, and, that's who I was referring to, if the Cavs even have a chance against oh, yeah, the Golden yeah. State Warriors. I, it's going to be a tough matchup. It's going to be a tough matchup. Yeah. Well, congratulations to the Golden State Warriors. And, wow, 50,000 people plus 
came out for Bernie Sanders, and and that was like a spontaneous, hey, I'm coming by Oakland, too. So mm-hmm. just to give you an idea of where we're at here in Northern California. Mm-hmm. Let's get today's program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our guest today has been on the show before, and we had such a great conversation about uh, her her previous book. She's got a new book out, and that was I'm Already Just, excuse me, I'm Already Disturbed, Please Come In. Um, it was a wonderful, wonderful writing, and just, I mean, this person's mind just kind of goes in places that uh, I absolutely appreciate, and she's such an incredible writer, so I'd like to welcome back Gabrielle Glancy. Gabrielle, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to be here. So you've got a new book out, Vera, and it's a it's a novel. Um, the interesting thing that I do want to bring up right away is the fact that this book had been rejected before. The idea of it. Let's let's talk about that. Why was it rejected before by Pocket Books? Well, I mean, I think there was a general consensus um, among the very top publishers in the in the world, really, because I was living in London at the time I wrote it. So I had an agent in London, a very prominent agent in London, Johnny Geller, um, and an agent in New York, and both of them really believed in the book and tried to sell it um, really to the top the top presses everywhere. Um, and people said about it, they read it in one day, I read it one Saturday afternoon, I never do that. Um, you know, the book really is it caught my attention, it's an assured debut, um, it's very appealing, um, you know, absolutely superb, sexy, captivating. These were the rejections, um, but many people said that either it sizzled too much for them to take it on, sorry to be such a prude, or um, in the case of pocketbooks, um, that's the, the the editor there said, I read it all in one sitting last Saturday. Gabrielle Glancy is an enormously talented writer with a wonderful voice. Unfortunately, I think Vera is too literary for us on one hand and too sexy on the other. Um, so that was a ostensible reason um, that that they rejected it. But I just think it was just, um, they couldn't classify it, basically. They just didn't know what to do with it. It was 20 years ago, and I think um, we've come a long way. Yeah, we have come a long way. And it's interesting to think about uh, the fact that 20 years ago when you you know, you basically uh, were, you created this, this book, um, that that you were ahead of your time, and now we're living uh, that time and being ahead. So we're not in 1999 anymore, as you said. Vera has finally come out. Who is Vera? So Vera is a um, mysterious character who the narrator has a kind of a wild uh, fling with, um, but it's more than that. It's a sort of deep and wild experience. Um, and the narrator actually goes to Russia to visit Vera's family, um, and Vera's mother gives her these sort of secret photographs, um, kind of on a mission to deliver them to Vera, um, and then Vera disappears. So the book is really about the narrator's search for this mysterious character. So right in the first chapter, I mean, um, you, you leave nothing on the table. 
<laughs> it's 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 you know you jump right into it in terms of the narrator and uh, I found myself you know flipping and flopping of trying to figure out who the narrator is and and then I, I recognize that um, this person uh, has a relationship with Vera um, but when I say you leave nothing at the table I mean immediately we we start the chapter with her I should say her experience or her trust with this uh, pa- fellow passenger on a flight in which. She ha- encounters a, a uh, you know, a, I guess she has a sexual encounter, I should say, right? Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> she has sex with a guy on a plane. That's what happens. She has sex with a guy on a plane. And, yeah. and that is, you know, and this is supposed to be when Vera disappears? Well, no, it's the, the first chapter is, I think it's titled The Day Before. The right? Day Before. The Day Before Vera Left Me. So the, the narrator has this mile-high adventure. You know, I mean, the narrator is pansexual, but basically queer, gay. Um, and But, you know, is sitting next to this guy who she keeps asking him if he's gay. You, you're very cute. Are you gay? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and then he shows interest in her, and she decides to just kind of jump on the opportunity and, um, you know, goes with it. Mm-hmm. And then mysteriously... The next day, Vera disappears, and she begins to think that there was some sort of conspiracy or that she was set up, or just the this, this sort of signs of things start to seem weird and strange, and she doesn't know what's happening. Now, you mentioned you know, some um, uh, ways of identifying oneself, such as queer, such as you know, uh, trans, uh, being different. It, and, and I'm thinking 20 years ago, it was very... We were very grounded in the LGBTQ community as in lesbian, gay, bi, and transgender. It just felt like, you know, some of these uh, different types of identities were not as quote-unquote popular. Um, what was what was that like when you were, you know, writing this book and putting it together? I mean, th- was this in any way kind of how you also were personally identifying with yourself that maybe you felt that you were you existed outside of just gay, lesbian, bi, or transgender even? That's a, that's a really good question. I mean, and interestingly enough, I was just interviewed by um, Publishers Weekly on the subject of trans and gay and lesbian, uh, G- LGBTQ and trans, um, particularly trans literature. Um, that, that article came out yesterday. Um, and, uh, you know, when, when the... the the guy interviewed me for it, he, he was sort of trying to pin me down to, you know, is Vera trans? Are you trans? Is the narrator trans? Mm-hmm. Who's trans? <laughs> what is trans? And it was really interesting because, I mean, I, again, defy definition. You know, I said, well, you know, Vera is, I suppose you could say Vera is trans, but you would have to ask Vera. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's that kind of a thing. It's like she he is very unidentifiable as one thing or another. Really, you never know in the book if Vera is male or female. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never completely clear, um, and I think that that was the point. And twenty years ago, that was just like nobody knew what to do with it. It's like okay, I mean, trans wasn't even something we talked about, and it was like, well, I mean, come on. So is, is the narrator a lesbian, but she has sex with this guy, and then she has sex with a guy later, and she has sex, you know, and it's, you know, and even at the time, I said, well, I, I don't know what to tell you. She's just, 
she's just doing what she's doing. I mean, I think now we have more terms for it. You know, there's like sapiosexual, transsexual, uh, pansexual, um, and they're all attempts to define something that I actually think is beyond definition. I think sexuality is very fluid. And um, so at least from my point of view, um, you know, you can't even pin it down in the book. Mm. You could say, well, yes, I guess she's trans, but, you know, or I guess the narrator's a lesbian, but she's having sex with men, too. And, you know, so I think you just, it's, it's much more fluid than we may think. That's my view of it anyway. Absolutely. Michelle Miao, we're speaking with Gabrielle Glancy, an author, uh, an award-winning author, I should say, and poet, and she's got a new novel out, Vera. And uh, we're talking about that novel. Um, uh, Gabrielle, I, I also kind of had the same experience with trying to figure out the who the narrator is actually. I mean, we don't ever have a name for her, I don't, I don't think, uh, unless I, I glazed over. And, and I thought at some point it said that, uh, you know, the narrator is Ms. Glancy, but maybe I'd also <laughs> rushed over that. But tell us, does the narrator actually have an identity? Right. Well, the narrator, who is not me, is Gabrielle Glancy. So part of what I'm doing in the book has to do with that as well, which is that the line between, you know, male and female, gay and straight, uh, all of that is is not so clear, really. It's fluid, as is the line between fact and fiction. Um, and so that's part. The book has been described as itself being trans genre. So is it a novel? Is it a memoir? Is it a novel and memoir? Is it a long poem? Is it a you know? It's in sound bites as well. You know, there are little like little chapters, there's images sort of similar to what we're used to in Facebook and in our daily lives, right, where we have Mm -hmm. texting and photographs and Instagram and so forth. Um, So the book itself defies um, genre classification. It kind of uh, goes across many different genres, and one of them is, uh, you know, the, the line between fact and fiction or a memoir and novel. (laughs) <laughs> oh wow I, I you know I'm trying to figure that out as the reader myself and uh, to hear you you say it I mean this is just such brilliant work um one other question before we dive into a little bit more of of the book and I also don't want to give too much away because I find that when I get too absorbed in what happens in the book I end up uh, telling our listeners exactly what's going on right, right. um and I want people to go out and get your book it's so good yeah, I'm, I'm being careful too because there are kind of plot points that I don't want to give away. Exactly, exactly. Now, uh, we mentioned, you know, at the beginning of the interview that this this book has been in, you know, the works for uh, 20 years. I mean, you tried to get it published 20 years ago. I'm wondering if you changed anything throughout the 20 years before publishers rushed to get it published right away. Right, I'm, I'm smiling. That's a great question. Um, so this, what happened really is that um, a friend of mine about six or eight months ago said to me, have you seen Transparent, you know, the show by Jill Solway, yeah. the producer? And I, at that point, I hadn't seen it. And I said, no, I, I haven't seen it. And she said, oh, my God, you really, really have to see that show. So I binge-watched it. You know, I, I just um, downloaded all the episodes and all the seasons that were available at the time. And I just watched it and watched it and watched it. I mean, really, I just, I think for a week, that's nothing, I did nothing else but watch Transparent. And when I emerged from the sort of trance-like state that I was in, um, that that world brings you into, I 
honestly, I just sort of opened my eyes and I went, oh, my God, I think I've got to get Vera out of the attic. <laughs> and I'm talking about a literal attic. Wow. And I got a friend of mine to go upstairs with me in my house, and it was a very dusty job. I mean, we were sneezing and coughing and dusting things off, and that book had been sitting, that manuscript had been sitting for 20 years. Wow. And, you know, or 18, I guess it is. So I dusted it off, I took it down, I took a look at it, and I thought, the world, I think, is ready for this. I want to publish this now. Um, and I started, I reread it, of course, because it had been a lot of years. I did a little sprucing up of the language and, and some of it along the way, and I don't want to give too much away, but I, what I ended up doing was seeing how the context of sort of life now uh, reflected on the 90s. So it, it, it ends up being a book about that time period. I wrote it during that time period, and the world wasn't ready for it yet. <laughs> so now it's a book about kind of nostalgia for a time before now, um, for the 90s, which was really, as, as somebody's described it, stuck somewhere between AIDS and 9-11, mm -hmm. you know, that, that sort of decade. Um, and, yeah, I did a little bit of... Um, towards the end. And a few places, I wove a few plot points in kind of as the book goes along once I decided that I wanted to, to sell it and publish it now. So I would say 90% is exactly the same, and then 10% here and there and towards the end, um, I sort of brought up to date and I reframed it as a look back at those years. Wow. Wow, that is so, um, I mean, that's so great. I, mean, I think for a lot of writers, I mean, when you've sat on a project for that long, uh, there's just so many opportunity and chances to change your mind, especially if you're, you know, talking about the LGBTQI community. So much has changed even in the last five years. Uh, yeah. Now is a good time to take a break. We're going to take a quick break right here, Gabrielle, but when we come back, I want to continue our discussion about Vera. So don't go away, okay? You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. 
Hello, I'm Charles Sines, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our special guest with us by phone is Gabrielle Glancy, award-winning author and poet, who's got a new novel out uh, titled Vera. And uh, we're talking about Vera. Although it seems, though, that Vera is is uh, this mysterious person in which um, we're even trying to identify. Uh, but even th- throughout the book, it, it's like Vera is missing. Vera uh, comes and goes. Vera sends cryptic messages <laughs> um, to the narrator. So, Gabrielle, you know, I asked you this before, and, and I said, you know, who exactly is Vera? Um, I just wanted you to to go back and, and, and say it again. Vera is... Uh, <laughs> A character in the book. <laughs> yes. Well, Vera is the, the paramour, the, you know, the mysterious lover of the narrator um, who disappears. Um, she doesn't just leave. She disappears, so there's no trace of her ever having lived in the place that she lived. And um, except she sends these really strange uh, messages, some of which seem to have no stamps on them. She just drops them off. But the narrator never never lays eyes on her again after she disappears um, throughout the course of the book. She's looking for her, and, you know, I won't tell you, I won't tell you what happens, but, but that's, that's the plot. Um, you mentioned right before the break that, you know, the, this was written um, about uh, 20 years ago, and, and the book stayed true to, you know, you writing in this voice and this style during the time, the time of the 90s, and, you know, and kind of thinking back what, we were going through as far as the LGBTQI community. Uh, you're right. It, you know, there's uh, we can throw HIV AIDS in there. We can throw um, uh, a sexual revolution, even uh, the liberation movement. Well, that that was kind of more yeah, 70s, 80s. But we were out. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you the, the 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 visual aspect of the sexual experiences in Vera are so vivid and so open. Um, was that kind of, you know, what you felt, what your experiences were during that time when you were writing this? <laughs> Me, the, the writer in my own life? Well, I mean, I, I think like you know, what you were seeing as far as the community goes. Um, I'm, I, you know, things pop up for me, images like bathhouses, like, um, you know, uh, open openness within the community and uh, sexual experiences that not necessarily, you know, so dr- traditional. But what's traditional about gay sex or queer sex? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's hard for me to know exactly if things have changed um, in a certain way. Uh, I mean, that was. The 90s, at least in my experience, there was um, there was a lot of uh, clubs and activities and sort of it just seemed very San Francisco in the 90s was pretty wild um, place. Um, right. And, you know, people were just kind of 
like uh, hooking up and going out cruising, and there was just a real sense of like play and um, uh, I don't know. It was it was a real hotbed, I think, um, and that the book reflects that time period. I mean, I think the narrator has a kind of innocence about all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, not an innocence like uh, a child, but innocence in the sense of being really open mm-hmm. like to new experiences. Right, which also, if you, you know, or if you had identified as lesbian or, or dyke even uh, during that time, I felt like there was a real strong um, I, I identity of being lesbian or, and you know, not necessarily hooking up with so so many men. I, I feel you were, were way more open about sexual fluidity today than than we were in the 90s as far as the LGBTQI community goes but perhaps that's my ignorance and I just read through <laughs> I read through through books and I it wasn't my own experience um so so I it caught me off guard that I thought uh, you know the the narrator was very specific about her sexuality that she was a lesbian or I was I was I found myself trying to figure that out and then when you threw in a big erected penis into the image, I, I, it kind of made me feel emotionally uh, 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 I detached in some way. <laughs> like I was kind of angry about it. What do you think from, from my point of view as the reader? Oh, you mean in the first scene? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and of course, like throughout the book, uh, like I said, you're, you, it's not that the narrator is being shy or coy about her sexual experiences either. Right. Well, I mean, and if you look at that scene, right, she just totally does what she wants with his, with him. She's like, oh, cool. Can I feel you? Yeah. <laughs> so she starts out with, I want to fuck you. Let's go to the bathroom. You know, meet me in the lavatory. I want to fuck you. Standing up? Yeah, standing up. Right? I mean, he's, a, he's not a, like a creep, but she's like, no, I don't want to do that. Right? I remember making love to my, my last girlfriend standing up. You know, I sprained my ankle or whatever, she says, right? And then she says, but, uh, God, it's been such a long time. Like, I was, you know, a baby last time I felt had a cock in my hand. Mm. So she was like, um, no, I don't want to meet you in the lavatory, but I would like to feel you, right? <laughs> and he's like, well, okay, I guess you can do that. And she's like, wow, are these your balls? <laughs> And then she's like, oh, my God, you got hard so fast. And he's nodding, yes, yes, I did. You know, he's, like, feeling it. And she's basically kind of just like, oh, cool. She uses the opportunity. It's totally the reverse of the male gaze looking at a woman and saying, oh, baby, let me feel you, you know, right? It's, mm-hmm. She is going, cool, let me, oh, my God, it's hard. Jesus, wow. <laughs> Wild, that happens fast, right? Yeah. She's like, she realizes that, you know, he's hard, he's feeling it, he's a pretty nice guy. She's gotten him this far. She has no interest in going any further, but just kind of out of pity for him, she gets him off. And then she's like, oh, gross. The cum is all over the blanket and the tray table and and his pants and the napkins. And, you know, so it's it's not exactly like, you know, uh, straight sex in the first scene. You know, she just, (laughs) uses it as an opportunity, not not an exploitative sense necessarily, but, I mean, he agrees, you know, he's fully consenting, mm-hmm. but she has just curiosity, like, wow, let me see how this works, mm-hmm. you know? 
this is cool. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, I think we know this, right? Just because you prefer women or you consider yourself a lesbian doesn't mean that penises, the cock does not figure in your imagination and fantasy, right? <laughs> I mean, the dildos, and let's, let's be honest about it. This is, this is just true, you know? And so whatever side you're on, you know, there is, um, I think, you know, uh, just it figures in, in, in fantasy and in the imagination and in sex even in, you know, um, lesbian lesbian sex, like right. pure lesbian sex. You know, I think the cock is there. So in this particular case, you know, she's just like, oh, huh, this is a real one. Let me feel it. Oh, cool. I could see how people could get into this, she says. Yeah. She's not particularly into it, but she's like, oh, yeah, the skin moves against it. It's hard and it's warm, you know, and as, a, as opposed to a dildo. Right? Right. And she's like, you know, I could see how people would get into this, but oh, I don't really feel like getting them off, but I guess I have to. Okay. She's you know, committed she now. At this point, it's like, oh, I see that people are looking at us and she's moving her hands up and down and she gets them off. You know, and then after that, she gets afraid. You know, then the strange occurrences begin. So that is like the, the pivot point. It start, the book starts at like the pivot point of, of her life. Mm-hmm. She does this seemingly innocent thing of wanting to feel this guy. You know, she's a lesbian, but she wants to feel his cock, mm-hmm. right? And then he lets her. She does. She gets him off. And then right after that, like, the world becomes topsy-turvy. <laughs> it really, truly does. It becomes an adventure and, uh, and the narrator's relationship with Vera um, we've come to the end of our interview, which, man, again, Gabrielle, I love having you on. I could talk to you forever about your brilliant writing. Um, you. you know, for this novel, and uh, now is the time, um, I, you know, to, to pick up a copy of this book today and explore what I consider, you know, uh, gender, sexuality, relationships, and be very open and honest and authentic and creative with, uh, you know, our identities in the LGBTQI community that part of us does exist in a fantasy world, and that's okay. Um, you know, kind of what are your last thoughts of me saying that, that that this is kind of, um, although it didn't debut in 1999, Vera is finally out, and I think Vera is a piece of all of us, especially if, if some of us lives in that fantasy world. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think everybody, it, it would appeal to everyone. Um, and it's available on Amazon, so if, if anyone's interested, just click on Vera on Amazon and you can, you can get a hold of it. And um, I'm really interested to see how people respond. All right. Gabrielle, thank you so much for spending time with us this morning and sharing Vera with us. Great pleasure. Head to GabrielleGlancy.com for more information to check out other books written by Gabrielle and also poetry. And uh, I'm sure of it that there is a link there for you to buy a copy of Vera. Buy the copy. It is, it is so, 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 so good. I had a great time reading the book. Don't go away. When we come back, the Michelle Miao Show continues. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Progressive Voices. I'm Heclina. 
I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years and uh, over the past couple of months I just opened up my club Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people, and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for Spotlight you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. We're missing John Zipper of Commonwealth Club, but don't fear, he'll be back next week. I thought that that was such a great interview with Gabrielle that uh, I went back and found the first interview that we did with her about her previous work. And it's just, you know, this person has such a brilliant mind. She's such an incredible writer. So proud to have her be, um, you know, this uh, to have to, to have her be a part of the LGBTQI community. And there goes my phone. I told you it's been crazy busy around here. But anyway, enjoy this interview that we did with Gabrielle Glancy with her uh, her previous work. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this hump day. It's February 3rd. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. And uh, our next guest is Gabrielle uh, Glancy. I almost said Schultz again. Paige, I was thinking of Paige Schultz. And now we're moving on to another author, another incredible book. Um, and the uh, the wonderful, the amazing Gabrielle Glancy. Gabrielle, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, we've got I've got your book and right in front of me. I'm already disturbed. Please come in. Parasites, Social Media, and Other Planetary Disturbances, a memoir of sorts. <laughs> yeah. I, love, I love the title. How did you come up with the, the title? Uh, well, I, I mean, the I'm already disturbed, please come in. I saw it somewhere, and I thought it was perfect for this particular story. Um, so, um, you know, that, that just came to me. And then I realized I needed something that made that a little bit more explicit. Um, so that's where parasite social media and other planetary disturbances came in. So what do you mean by it's a, it's a memoir, uh, uh, of sorts <laughs> in my mind, I got sort of kind of maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's a kind of, I like to refer to it as a trans 
genreed book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it 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 kind of crosses genres. So I didn't feel like I could just say a memoir because I don't think it's just a memoir. It's kind of a book about um, what's going on in the world now um, in terms of climate change and ridiculous pandemics, Ebola and now Zika and things like that. Um, um, you know, the environment and what we're doing to the environment and um, just the crazy world we live in. I think it's a social commentary in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it reflects on social media and the, the sort of viral aspects of that, viral, addictive, and um, sort of mixed mixed bag aspects of social media. Um, and as well, it's a story about this particular few years in my life. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I felt like it, it wasn't right to just call it a memoir because it, it seems like it's more than that. It's a combination of things. I love it. I love it. I'm going to start with, um, you know, the beginning of the book. Uh, you had just mentioned social media. And so it, it starts with some Facebook screenshots and kind of, you know, your your words of, of what's happening here on, on Facebook. Um, what is your relationship with Facebook and, and how do you feel about this, you know, social media giant? Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, when I wrote this, which was, I think I started it about three or four years ago, um, about a period that had started five or six years ago. Facebook was newer, um, and I think now it's just like, you know, completely ubiquitous, and, um, you know, just everybody uses it, and it just is, you know. Um, At that particular time, I was, um, there were moments in my life at that time where there was nothing else I could do. Basically, I worked. I, I was I was a single mom, so I had to work, um, and I, I worked minimally. Um, and often, you know, there were times I had to excuse myself and and go to the restroom and lie down on the floor to get the blood back to my head. Uh, and when I was home, I took care of my son, and in all my downtime, I was kind of in a zombie state, and I just sort of sat with my hand on the mouse and just kind of you know, trolled the internet and, and um, looked at Facebook. What, what were some of your uh, observations and, uh, in, and the non-human interaction and, and this entire interaction happening to yourself as, as a writer, as a poet? Um, I just find that the words you used to describe what your experiences were both beautiful, uh, chaotic at times, and, and sometimes isolating. Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of Facebook, I mean, I think that it's like, at one point I refer to it as the primordial soup that is Facebook, that it's kind of this uh, collective unconscious that we have access to. Um, You know, everybody's sort of spewing what they want you to see, um, and sometimes they're aware of what it is that they're trying to portray and how they want to look to you. And sometimes they just post things and you kind of see more than they probably want you to see. Um, and then just it's, it's a very filtered way to get, you know, the news of the world also, kind of human interest news of the world. And then what I was interested in is that before I knew I would write the book, I started I guess it's just the writer in me. I started collecting, taking screenshots of the Facebook posts, collecting them and putting them in a folder. Mm. And I was in, in such a half 
conscious. I mean, it was a weird state because it was like half-conscious, semi-conscious, zombie-like on one hand. And on the other hand, I was so aware of every, like, you know, um, gas bubble in my body that it was hyper-conscious. So it was this mixture of kind of half-conscious and hyper-conscious. And um, I realized later that it was like a found poem, what I had saved from Facebook. Like, I just, the the things that I had ended up saving were really interesting to me later. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's interesting. And I saw that there was a kind of, like, hidden narrative Mm -hmm. to my Facebook collection. (laughs) <laughs> it was a poem in itself right? That, right. that was then speaking to me. And I thought, oh, wow, that's really interesting. So in a way, like in a certain way, I think that the Facebook, um, the Facebook screenshots that I had collected kind of told a story in and of themselves. And then I decided, pardon me, to write that story. And that's what the, that's what became the book. Um, I love it. I love it. And there was not a moment in which... Um... I didn't enjoy it. Uh, there are dark moments and, uh, and, and, and moments. I, what I love about it is that, yeah, you would take these uh, uh, updates, social media updates, and then craft it in your own words of how, you know, do you, you identified with it, such as um, in Chapter 10, uh, there's a screenshot of I'm a bad mother, period. Um, and then, you know, you follow up with, well, why would you say such a thing? I'm embarrassed just reading it. although. Lately, I kind of feel that way myself. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So it, it provides this kind of mirror, I think, for better or for worse. Um, and then, and then, you know, switching from that and and that mirror, right, and looking at oneself and kind of how you identify in your own world, or perhaps how you're feeling um, with other relationships in your your life. You you switch to something that also is lighthearted, which I think the entire universe can um, connect with, although it's a private matter, such as in chapter 13, uh, there's a, you take a snapshot of a photo posted somewhere, some notice of, of masturbation notice. Uh, masturbation in the showers is a violation of the University of Massachusetts housing code. <laughs> I, lo- I love that. And then you follow up with, I do masturbate in my own room. <laughs> Right. Right. Yes. Well, do you, do you, it was an opportunity too to just like um, let it all hang out. You know, I just I felt like um, I don't know. You know, I just wanted to say it all. I wanted to tell it as you know, tell it like I saw it, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's take a you know a couple steps back and and kind of get to know uh, Gabrielle you know, deeply, um, in because you share so much in this memoir or sort of memoir, <laughs> um, uh, if, if we could go back into, you know, your, your childhood and, and, you know, I always find that people's childhood, uh, how they grew up, it's very interesting and it contributes to their adult life, of course. Oh, wow. I didn't expect you to ask me that. Um, I have to think about it. Um, Maybe ask me a more specific question about my childhood. Sure. I mean, you know, your relationship with with your parents, where you grew up, um, any, uh, you know, interesting stories uh, that you'd like to tell that stick out to you that uh, you can remember that, you know, because this happened and I still remember it, that is why I react this way today at X age. (laughs) Uh Uh Uh-huh. I couldn't trace back the roots of this particular um, 
you know, book to to events in my childhood, although in a way, just the title, I'm already disturbed, please mm-hmm. come in. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, the disturbance predated um, the parasites that I had. Um, although I think part of it is is the sense of the disturbance being planetary as well. It's sort of like, yeah, well, my microbiome is disturbed because um, there's so much processed food and, and crap in the environment, um, you know, and I suppose my psyche is disturbed for the same reasons in a way. Um, as far as my own childhood, it's interesting because I did um, uh, an interview called 10-Minute Interviews in which she asked me a, a lot of detail about my childhood. Um, so, I mean, you can read that online, but... Um, I grew up in Coney Island, actually, New York. Um, sort of, I like to joke, um, you know, like with Woody Allen under the under the roller coaster, um, and it was more like on the roller coaster in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raised by my grandparents, my maternal grandparents. Uh, my mom was a single mom. My father um, was a photographer. He ended up moving to Paris. Um, he spent the last about twenty five years of his life in Paris. Um, and there were many, many years in which I didn't see him. Um, my mother herself is a very, she's an artist herself. She ended up as an English teacher. She taught English, high school English. She was the only one in her family at that point to go to college. Um, and um, my maternal grandmother, I was very, very close to my ter- maternal grandmother. It was a wonderful, really interesting, wonderful person. And my maternal grandfather was just insane. Um, he, I think he really was. He was very, very creative and interesting. He was sort of a builder, architect, um, a very wild imagination, um, alternate, alternately violent and weird. And um, so he was, he was sort of in and out of the picture. And I think um, a destabilizing force in my family in general. Uh, on one hand, and on the other. Um, I think he himself was probably a frustrated artist. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of kind of creative energy that ran through the family. My grandmother was not an artist at all. She was a sort of politico. She was a progressive. Um, she she marched with John Reed and Emma Goldman in those years. Um, she was a radical. And actually, um, my mother, my grandmother, and my father all spent time in jail for civil disobedience. My mm-hmm. father was uh, Mr. X. He refused to have his class, he was a French teacher, refused to have his class salute the flag during the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. was arrested for that. Um, my grandmother in Coney Island refused to pay the dues for the beach in Seagate, which is where we live. She said, the ocean is for the people, it's free. And so she was she was arrested. And then my mother... Um, was um, vice president of the National Teachers Association. They went on strike. She was arrested, too. So wow. I hope I never actually have to go to jail, but I come from a pretty radical, um, uh, pretty radical Yeah, role. I love it. I love it. Gabrielle, we're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I'd love to continue our discussion about your, your book here, I'm Already Disturbed, Please Come In, Parasites, Social Media, and Other... Planetary Disturbances, a memoir of sorts. Don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. 
Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this hump day. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our guest today is Gabrielle Glancy, uh, who's the author of I'm Already Disturbed. Please come in. Parasites, Social Media, and Other Planetary Disturbances, a memoir of sorts. Gabrielle, I, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, I think that uh, a lot of users on Facebook use it uh, as a form of uh, diary entries um, almost in, in kind of the way that they write on Facebook. Um, I love that the book goes in and out of, of what it feels like an actual diary entry and then, and then using what other people post um, as if uh, they're writing in their own diaries. Had you ever thought about that when you were putting this together? Hmm. Not quite in that way, but I think I think it's accurate, and I think the fabric of our lives these days um, is made up of you know so much um, interaction. You know, think about a day. You know, you wake up, you check your. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would guess. You know, you check to see if there's any texts have come through. Maybe even during the night, you check to see if any texts have come through. You can see your messages right on your phone. You know, then you check Facebook. Then you, you know, you, we're bombarded all the time by you know so much, um, so much media, social media, and interact social interaction in a way. I think we're more isolated than ever in another way. Um, that I really think that the fabric of our lives is just made up of. Um, a lot of different, you know, threads and pieces. Mm. Speaking of diary entries, um, you know, when when uh, when I felt like I was reading your diary, you were talking very openly about about your health. Um, talk to us about that. You know, uh, in in terms of deciding to include um, these chapters that talk very in depth about about your health. Well, I mean, I think um, really the that was the sort of central, um, in a way, mystery of the book, which was, you know, in, in this case, it's not a whodunit, but a what's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the echo of that, you know, there's something wrong with me, what's wrong with me, I can't identify it, certainly has kind of psychosocial um, implications. In this particular book, I really didn't know what was wrong with me. I was so, so, so sick. I thought I was going to die. Um, and I couldn't... And even though they, you know, the doctors did a million different tests, it was like really a circus itself, you know, going from doctor to doctor. Um, and I kind of turned, someone said to me later, and I think this is true, I kind of turned the clinical gaze instead of having all of the doctors kind of cock their heads at me, you know, and wonder um, what's wrong with me and who is this person. This book turns the spotlight around, so I'm actually looking at the doctors. Um, and I think there was a—I don't know if I would quite say sweet revenge, but certainly it was very vindicating to be able to um, tell the story of just such a crazy journey. And you know, there was one time—you know—I went to this 
gastroenterologist who made me wait for an hour and 37 minutes. Finally, I walked down the hallway to, to see where she was, and lo and behold, she said, like, wait a minute, you know, can't you see I'm busy? Mm-hmm. And she moved her rolling chair aside, and I realized she was on Facebook herself. Oh, my gosh. Coming to see me. <laughs> you know, so it was like, oh, my God, somebody has to talk about this. The other thing is that, you know, when you're very sick, which I was, you know, you're really vulnerable, and I'm articulate and, you know, relatively attractive and, you know, full of energy when I'm in good health and can speak for myself, but, you know, what goes on behind closed doors, nobody's talking about, and I just wanted to be able to, you know, tell the story also of what was going going on behind closed doors. Like, I was so happy when I wrote the chapter about that doctor who was on Facebook instead of seeing me. Uh, uh, what does the world and come I to? I was lying. I mean, it's just, you know, it's funny because I'm, I have a book in progress called You Can't Make This Stuff Up, but that's like the kind of thing where you can't make that up. That's like, no, mm-hmm. you can't be serious. And actually, it was true. That's so, that is so, I mean, you know, uh, lack of a better word, I mean, crazy. <laughs> I would feel, crazy. I would feel crazy too. Um, I didn't get to finish the memoir, so I don't actually really know, you know, what was wrong with you. I don't know if you want to spill the beans to our listeners or for myself, um, but you're okay now that we know. In, in- uh, you know, I'm relatively okay. I'll never be the same. Um you know, I'm healthy, but I have to do a lot to keep my health um, in balance um, because basically my, um, like many, 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 many people, my uh, internal um, you know, microbiome, the, the um, you know, the, the good and the balance of good and bad bacteria inside my gut um, is a very, very fine balance. So I, I have to take large quantities of of the good bacteria in order Mm. for them to fight the bad bacteria and the bad bacteria will never completely go away. I don't think. Um, so I think it's going to be a lifelong balancing act, you know, and I think it's just simply the internal reflects the external, which is really the point of the book Mm -hmm. that, you know, my internal environment just reflects the chaos and imbalance, um, you know, in the external environment. There, there is a good, good question, but yeah, no, yeah, absolutely, it does. Thank you. Um, there is a good part of the book in in which you you talk about falling in love. Yes. <laughs> yeah and what would you like to know? About? I know. I would like to know. You know the. Uh, I mean that, that. I love that that was included in the in this book. Um, and that was a part of your experience while well, you're going through all this craziness and, and trying to figure out what's, what's wrong with you, uh, in the midst of it all, you, uh, end up falling in love, um, in a very, you know, poetic way I, that probably contributed to, uh, in so many ways, not just, you know, as you're going through all this craziness, I, I would think that falling in love was, a, was a beautiful thing for you as well. Yeah, I mean, it was a really weird time to fall in love. So um, that, uh, you know, I basically got sick a week after I met Satya, um, and I was in the emergency room for the first two or three months constantly. Like every three to five days, I ended up in the emergency room. Um, And, I mean, I think she thought I was just, you know, 
crazy. I often asked her later, once I got healthy, why did you stay with me? I mean, did you just, like, think, um, what am I getting myself into here? This this woman is sick all the time. And mm-hmm. she said, yeah, uh, she said yes, and my friends told me I was crazy. She said, but I could see underneath that you were full of energy and you were going to do what you needed to to heal. And she actually had a lot of faith in me while it was happening. She often said, you're going to be okay. I see I see your power underneath. I see your strength. Keep going. Keep going. You know, but she brought, you know, we, we ended up raising our sons together. She, she had a son when we met who was four years old and my son was three. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we raised the boys together and I was in and out of, I was in and out of the hospital and they were in and out with us. You know, they spent a lot of time in the emergency room and in the hospital with, with us. Um, you know, it wasn't constant, uh, but it was often. Well, G- Gabrielle, I, I really do. Um, I thoroughly am enjoying your memoir, and I got to finish it this weekend. Uh, I just I just got it in my hands a couple of days ago, so I apologize to get to finish it. My last question for you, and uh, I'm so honored to have you on the program, by the way. Uh, you mentioned that you have, uh, you know, children, um, and lots of young people are using Facebook in, in a lot of ways. Um, and for someone as an, an intellect and someone who's gone through experiences in life, um, what kind of lasting words or thoughts would you have for the young who uh, use Facebook in, in ways that we probably didn't imagine we would before Facebook? I don't know if the young, the, the youngest young generation, which would be like 5 to 13 these days, because they're, they're definitely, you know, on the computer all the time. They're always, you know, on their iPads or whatever. I don't think they're using Facebook per se. I think if we did a demographic, it's probably now, I don't know, 20 to 50 or something like that. Um, but there are, you know, my sons are on the on the um, iPad constantly, constantly, mm. constantly. And I think it's, I, you know, it's like an uphill battle because that's just the way it is. I mean, with, with my son now, I try to get him to, you know, balance. Again, it's a balance so that he's not overtaken. Because if he does, he, he's like a zombie if he spends too long on his iPad. You know, he's doing Minecraft, he's looking at Star Wars and things like that. He's not interested in Facebook. He looks over my shoulder sometimes if there's, he's obsessed with koalas, so if there's, he's nine years old, if there's a koala, you know, eating eucalyptus, I'll show him a picture. But otherwise, he's into his stuff, but he's into it big time. I mean, yeah. it's intense how much, you know, um, I, I, kids are using yeah. it. I guess I was referring to, you know, the overshare on, on, on platforms, um, that, uh, you know, on social media. Um, I don't know. It seems like humans are so open to sharing anything and everything on the Internet these days. Uh, and I, I truly, uh, you know, what I loved about the memoir is that I, I truly believe it, 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 it does contribute to your, your psyche, your, your thought process, your mental health. Right. Well, I think it's, it counterbalances actually a lot of alienation, too. It's a mm. weird combination because it used to be, you know, you had dinner and you walked arm in arm with your significant other, this is like 100 years ago, in the piazza and <laughs> ran into your friends, right? Or even when I was, you know, in my 20s in New York City in the East Village, I went to the cafe. That's what you did. You know, there was yeah. like, you know, and, I, and there I met Eileen Miles, you know, and everybody knows Eileen Miles now, but it was a community. 
Right. So, and everybody kind of just would go and chat and say, what are you doing? Did you see so-and-so? Did you know so-and-so and -and so-and-so broke up? Or, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so got together and, oh, you know, there's a job opening at blah, blah, blah. Like, that's how people used to function. And now they don't function like that anymore. Um, you know, you don't just go out and, and sit at the cafe and, and know that your friends are going to walk, you know, walk by and you're going to say hello. And there's mm-hmm. no, like, central meeting place. Mm-hmm. So in a certain way, um, you know, sites like that are central meeting places. Facebook's like a central meeting place. Um, and Thanks so much for joining us here on this last day of May. For the rest of the interview, head to michellemeow.com, where you can also check out all of my television episodes. Until next time, my friends, tomorrow at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time here on the Progressive Voices Network.